Well, we're starting a new series this week, and this series will really take us up to the month of July, and the series is entitled this. If you follow our church on social media, you already know that we're diving into this, but the title of the series is this, King of Hearts. And really what this series uh, is about is we're going to be walking through 1 Kings chapter 1 through 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to take that chunk of scripture and walk verse by verse through it, looking at the life of Solomon. And if you have an understanding of the Bible at all, you know that Solomon was one of the kings of Israel. He ruled under the greatest time of Israel's uh, history, when the kingdom was flourishing at its greatest. King David, his father, who really started for the nation of Israel in the sense of, of really the kingdom beginning to flourish under David, King Saul obviously being the first king, if you know Israel's history at all, and looking at Solomon. Some of you might even be aware that Solomon, that story that we will look at here in this, in this chunk of scripture where God gives Solomon the opportunity to ask for anything that he wants. Like, how awesome would that be? Can we just be real? Like, like could you think of a couple things that you would ask God for if he said, hey, you can have whatever you want, and we know that if you're familiar with that story, that Solomon asked for wisdom and God grants Solomon wisdom. And Solomon is really, outside of Jesus, the wisest person that ever lived or at least had that wisdom available to him. And so we're going to see in this series the rise of Solomon to the throne, but unfortunately we're also going to see the demise of Solomon. And the reason why we're going to see the demise of Solomon is because Solomon made a fundamental mistake and his walk with the Lord. See, he didn't keep the Lord first place. He didn't keep the Lord the king of his heart. And really the title of this series and the thrust of this series comes from an unfortunate passage of scripture in 1 Kings 11.4 where it says of Solomon, Solomon's heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. So if you didn't know the story of Solomon, unfortunately I gave you a spoiler. But that's really what we're looking at. Because Solomon had all the abilities, Solomon had, had all the gifting, Solomon had all the blessings of the Lord, but at the end of the day, it still depended on Solomon to exercise personal responsibility, to take what God had given him and to use it and to honor the Lord with it and to look to the Lord as his king rather than other things and other people. And that's really what we're going after in this series, evaluating, Lord, are you indeed the king of my heart? In other words, are you the one that I'm looking to to lead me, to guide me? Are you the one that I'm submitting to? Or have I allowed something or someone to take your rightful place in my life or in my heart? That's what we're looking at. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 1. Today we're going to go through verse 10. And so we'll work ourselves through chapter one over these next two weeks. But here's the title of the message this morning, The Danger of a Jealous Heart. The Danger of a Jealous Heart. And what I wanna encourage you as we begin this series and every week as we walk through these chapters up through chapter 11, is I want you as we look at these characters that are mentioned in this chapter and in the chapters to follow, that you would ask of yourself, Lord, what situations, what decisions, 
what relationships, what transitions I'm going through, are you using what I see in this passage of scripture to show me where I need to change, what I need to confess, what I need to be encouraged in, where I need to make a hard right in my life? And this morning, we're going to look at the topic of jealousy, and we're going to look at it next week as well. So really, today we start a two-part topic on the issue of jealousy. Now, here's what I know, because it was true of me. You need to understand that when I, the series that we're going to be walking through, that last year, in my quiet time, I worked through First Kings, just in my quiet time with the Lord. And as I worked through First Kings, really the things that we're going to talk about in this series are really things that the Lord showed me, the things that the Lord convicted me of, the things that the Lord encouraged me of. And so what I'm sharing with you are, are, is really the fruit of what the Lord showed me in my own quiet time. And as we look at chapter one here on this topic of jealousy, here's what I know you're probably going to think because I thought it as well. Lord, I look at this guy, Anijah, Adonijah, and I'm like, I don't have anything in common with him. I don't struggle with jealousy. Not a, not a big deal for me. You may be even like, okay, we're talking about jealousy. I can for sure maybe even point to someone else in this room and say they need to listen, but not me. But I want you to guard yourself against that. I want you to ask the Lord today. I'm going to pray here in a moment, and I want you to pray to the Lord on your own and ask the Lord this. Lord, would you show in my heart where jealousy is beginning to take root, where jealousy is beginning to creep on the throne of my heart? So would you pray with me as I pray out loud, Lord, we're here today to hear from you. Lord, we've already had the opportunity in song to worship you as our king, as the king of our heart. And Lord, I pray that as we now open up your word, Lord, we know that you're gonna speak because that's what your word does. It promises that when we open it, Lord, we'll never come up empty. And so, Lord, we don't need to pray for you to speak. We need to pray for us to be obedient to what you say to us. That the things that you identify in our minds, that we would acknowledge them for what they are. For the things that maybe have crept onto the throne of our heart, that we would acknowledge them for what they are. And so, Lord, we ask for you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to, us to see and what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a definition of jealousy, because if we're gonna talk about it, we, we ought to define it, right? I mean, that would make sense. And it's interesting, when I was thinking of, a, it's been a while since I've looked up the word jealousy, and so I was like, I'm curious, so on my computer, I was like, what is jealousy? What's the definition of jealousy? What's the common definition? And here's what the common definition, when I looked it up, said. The nature of being jealous. Do you hate that when you've ever done schoolwork and you're like looking up a definition and the definition doesn't at all explain the word? So it's like, well, that's great. So if I was to say, let's define jealousy this morning, and I said, well, it's the nature of being jealous, you'd be like, thanks a lot. So here's a definition that I want you to write down that I came up with to define jealousy that really this definition was shaped by what we're going to see in chapter one. Here it is. A vengeful desire, not a godly desire, a vengeful desire to pursue or protect what I view 
I deserve or possess out of fear that it might be taken away from me. Notice how many times I is mentioned. Notice me is mentioned. So jealousy is this selfish or vengeful desire that, man, I want to go after this or I want to protect this because I believe I deserve it or I believe I have it and I'm afraid that it's going to be taken away from me. So I am, man, by any means necessary going to guard what I have or pursue what I believe I deserve. And we're going to see that definition flesh itself out. Now, here's what you need to understand because the New Testament that we're going to look at here in a second in James 3.14, if you want to write James 3.14 right in the margin of your Bible next to chapter 1 of 1 Kings, you can do so. But Scripture interprets Scripture. And here's what James 3.14 says about jealousy. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, what's interesting, jealousy and selfish ambition are bedfellows. If you have one, you're going to have the other. But it says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Here's what that means. Oftentimes, when I am having jealousy taking root in my life, or to use the title of our series, if jealousy is climbing on the throne of my heart, here's my natural tendency, is I want to justify why it's there. I want to give reasons and even look for godly reasons why I can justify that it's there. And James says, hey, if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. No, 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 don't try to justify it. And I, like you, when this begins to happen to me and I begin to develop a root of jealousy, my first reaction is always to justify it. Look at what it says. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. This is not godly motivation. It's not from God, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Those are three characteristics that none of us would say, I want that. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you six characteristics of jealousy that are found in chapter one. Six characteristics that will manifest themselves in our life when jealousy is ruling the throne of our hearts. And here's what we need to understand. Jealousy is a subtle thing. It's subtle. It creeps its way in. It doesn't knock down the door and say, I'm here. Let me in. No, no, no. It's a subtle thing. It creeps in slowly over time. And that's why I say, and that's why we pray, Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to see and say to us today because we're dealing with a topic that oftentimes is subtle. So let's begin in verses one through five, and we'll look at this first characteristic of jealousy. Look at verse one. It says, now, (coughs) excuse me, now King David was old and advanced in years, and Although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for the Lord my king, and let her wait on the king, and be in his service, and let her lie in your arms, that the Lord my king may be warm. So they saw for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her 
to the king. And the young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended him, but the king knew her not. In other words, there was no immoral relationship here. And you're like, what is the significance of that? Well, can we just stay as a side note? Like, can you imagine, ladies, like someone approaching you and saying, hey, I have a job that I need you to do. And you're like, what's that? And you're like, I need you to lay with this old man that's about dead that can't keep himself warm. And you got to cuddle up next to him every night and comfort him. Probably no hands would be raised for that job. Just guessing. But the point of that is David is at the end of his life. And because he's at the end of his life and he's king, that means people are already clamoring, though this text doesn't necessarily say that, wondering who's going to be the next king. Now look at verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Now, here's what you need to understand about the context to get a better grasp of of what we're seeing here in 1 Kings in these first five verses. See, you're like, people. I just said, people are clamoring, wondering who's going to be king, but here's the reality. People knew who was going to be king. Because if you go to 1 Chronicles 22 and 1 Chronicles 28, we don't have time to look at it. David announces who's going to be king. God tells David who's going to be king. He tells David that Solomon is going to be king, that Solomon is also going to have the job of building the temple. And David calls 1 Chronicles 22 and 28, calls an entourage in, and he announces to them that Solomon's going to be the next king. But here's something you need to understand. Adonijah was the next in line to be king. He was the next in line. So in Adonijah's mind, when you look at the culture and how things were done, Adonijah looked in his mind and says, I deserve to be king because I'm the next in line. Even though God said something, I discount that. I believe I need to be king because that's the way that it's done. It's important to understand. See, here's the thing about jealousy. Jealousy is often is a result of a belief that I have been the recipient of injustice. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are in that, in the, would fall into that category? That today you believe that you are a recipient of injustice. But here's the thing. And that injustice in my eyes has gone and will go unresolved unless I do something about it. I see that I've been wronged. And I believe that I've been wronged. And if I don't take things into my own hand, that wrong will go unresolved. Jealousy is always rooted in that thought. Which leads us to our first characteristic. Number one, jealousy makes false conclusions in your heart and in my heart. Why do I say that? Because Adonijah knew what God said, who should be the next king. But Adonijah didn't believe that what God said was best. He thought, no, 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 this is what is right. I should be king. And that's what jealousy does. It causes us to make false conclusions that are not in line with God's word, God's will, reality. 
And particularly, it causes us to make two false conclusions. Here's the first one. We make the false conclusion in our heart that our rights have been violated and need retribution, need revenge. My rights have been violated. Adonijah says, my rights have been violated. I should be next, I should be the king. I'm next in line. My rights have been violated. But listen to me, whenever in my life I have operated with the motivation and the belief that my rights have been violated, it never, never leads to godly conclusions. Never has, never. But I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. These are my rights. And I'm about seeing my rights be made right. And that's all I care about. That's my focus. Man, I am tunnel vision on that. And when I operate that, what I have found in my life, and what we're going to find out in this story, is I will not be postured in an attitude of submission to who should be king of my heart. Because if I'm looking to the Lord as king of my heart, and I am wrong. Listen, I'm not saying that there aren't times where we're wronged. I'm not saying that there aren't times that, yeah, absolutely, you were totally wrong. What I'm saying is, is when I want to take it into my own hands and make it right, that never leads to decisions that emulate that the Lord is the king of my heart. Because if the Lord is the king of my heart, then what am I saying? I am willing to submit to my king even in this. Here's a second false conclusion that oftentimes happens. Not only have my rights been violated, but I also get caught up into thinking, I need to go after what I believe I deserve. And I'm seeing that what I deserve is in jeopardy. Someone is taking it from me. Someone has taken it from me. And that's what Adonijah sees, that this has been taken from me because I deserve it. Look at verse five again. Look at what Adonijah says. Remember we say this all the time at Harvest, and I want to say it again if you're new with us. Every word of God is important. And so we look at this phrase, and there's some key words in here that really get at the heart of Adonijah. It says, now Adonijah what is exalted himself. He came to this conclusion. Nobody else was saying this. No, no, no. I'm going to exalt myself. And what does Adonijah say? Say it with me. I will be king. Let me tell you, that phrase, I will, reveals a lot about your heart and how you use it. Because how I use the word or the phrase, I will, reveals whether or not I am living with a proper understanding of who God is. Do I see myself as ruler? Do I see myself as king? Or do I see my Lord as king? And that will reveal itself by how I finish that phrase, I will. Adonijah says, I will be king. Let's think about the last week. Last Sunday to this Sunday. Last Sunday to today. Let's think about just the last week. And let's think about some of the I will statements you've either said out loud or thought in your mind. And ask yourself, do they reveal 
that the Lord is the king of your heart? Or maybe do they reveal that jealousy has taken that throne? Because what, what I've realized and what we see and will see in this passage of Scripture is that when my heart is driven by jealousy and my rights being violated or what I believe I deserve being in jeopardy, my response will always be, oh, I tell you, this is what I'm going to do. I will say this in response to my rights or what I deserve being possibly taken away. I'm going to say this. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I will do this, or I will say that, or I will go after this, or I will go after that. And if my I will statements are driven by my rights or what I deserve, here's what I've found, and you could affirm if you evaluated your actions in the past, that they always result in sin. And they never seek the glory of Christ as your king. Because they're motivated for you. I will be king. And I wonder how often in our lives that's really what our motivations are. My rights and what I deserve is in jeopardy. Why? Because I want to be king. You want to be king. And that jealousy causes us to make false conclusions in our hearts. Turn over to Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Keep your finger in 1 Kings chapter 1. Because in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, we get a window into heaven of Satan falling. See, ain't... Satan is an angel. He was created by God, and he's a fallen angel. And in Isaiah 14, we get to peer into history and get an idea of what was at the root of Satan's heart that caused him to fall. And it's interesting how many times we're going to find these I will statements. Not I will statements in a godly way, but I will statements in a jealous way. Look at what it says. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will. I will be king. And here's what we need to understand, that when I am making false conclusions in my heart and they're driven by my rights and what I deserve, here's what happens in our heart. Is it causes us to see that my will and what I think should be done and what I think should be right is better than what God's will is revealed revealing itself to be. God, my will is better than your will. I've struggled with that in my life. Maybe some of you right now, you would never voice that out loud, but if you're really gonna be honest and you peer into your heart, you've allowed jealousy to creep in and things have 
happened and begun to be laid out that are different than what you believe you deserve and it's caused you to have a crisis of belief in saying, God, I believe that my will is better than your will. And it's because jealousy has creeped in and it's causing you to see things that are not reality because you've made false conclusions in your heart. Here's the second characteristic. Let's look at verses five and six. The end of verse five says, and he prepared for himself. So he says, I will be king. So now what is he gonna do? He's going to lead that to action. And he says, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Just a side note. David was not the greatest dad. Nobody, if they're doing a Father's Day message, is going to talk about David. Wasn't a great dad. He allowed his sons to pretty much get away with whatever they wanted. And that's what that's getting at. And then it describes Adonijah. It says he was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. So in other words, he had the looks, he had the pedigree, but he also begins to gather resources to now put his false conclusions that he has made in his heart now into action. See, when you first read the end of verse five, you're like, well, okay, he gathers together some chariots and horsemen and some men to run before him. I really don't know what that means, but I'm just gonna pass on. Here's what you need to understand about the context of the day. The chariots were a strategic weapon. And they symbolized power and authority. And then in Israel, chariots, they were large enough to house more than one or two people. See, what, would normally ha- what you would have in an Israel chariot is you would have this. You would have an archer. You would have a shield bearer that would hold a shield. You would have a driver who was driving the chariot, and he would have a spear. And then when it says here in the text... 50 men to run before him. These were men that would run before announcing who was coming in the chariot. They didn't have horns on their chariots. So literally these men would run ahead and hopefully they ran faster than the horses, I guess. Uh, They must have been guys that were in shape or whatever it was, but they they were running ahead saying, hey, this person is coming. And Adonijah gathered all that stuff together. So he had the looks, he had the pedigree, He had the resources to go after what he believed he deserved. And he formulates a plan to go after it. See, here's the second characteristic of jealousy. And it's really a progression, as I said. Here's the second thing. Jealousy formulates plans to pursue what it believes it deserves. So it begins to make false conclusions in your heart. And then that leads to... Okay, well, now I need to formulate a plan to go after what I believe I deserve. And that's exactly what you see Adonijah doing here. See, jealousy always looks to craft a narrative. What narrative are you crafting today? That proves that what you believe you deserve or how your rights have been violated can be believed by others. Because that's what jealousy does. I'm going to formulate a plan. And here's where it starts off. It starts off as a subtle thought. 
Like I said, I'm not immune to this. You ever, you ever uh, in your life, you're sitting there and you're in your chair. You just always are daydreaming and you get home and you're just thinking about that boss or that person that was promoted and you weren't. And how you start thinking about, man, I deserve that. He or she didn't deserve that. I've done more here. I've done more there. Man, maybe if I went to the boss and I said this about him or her, maybe they would change their mind. Or this person's being considered for this, and I'm being considered for this. And if I shared some things that, that maybe I think that they didn't do as well as I did, maybe then, then I would ascend. Or this conclusion was made about me, and it, I don't think that it's right, and I think it violates my rights, and it takes away from what I believe I deserve. So you see where I'm going with this? And you start to, you start to just dwell on it. It starts off as a subtle thought. But when that subtle thought isn't addressed and isn't confessed, then it starts to develop and you're actually formulating a plan. Like, how could I make this happen? Well, if I did this and I did this and I did this, then I think it would lead to this. And then it goes from a plan to actually manifesting itself into action. See, here's why I say that, because what is an archer's job? An archer's job is to protect Protect the one in a chariot from threats that are afar off. And what's the shield bearer's job? The shield bearer's job is to protect that person for what may be coming. What's the person driving with the spear to affect those things that if you get past the archer and you get past the shield bearer, then we got a spear to take care of that. And what's the 50 men running ahead? Hey, we want to announce to everybody that this person is deserving of what they say they indeed have or want to have. And that's so true in our life. We can formulate plans and say, well, this would address that potential threat to my agenda that may be coming from afar off. Or this may be protect me. If, if maybe that doesn't work, then this will work. And if that doesn't work and they get past the two first, two fir- first two scenarios, then, then this will deal with the third scenario. Do you see what I'm saying here? And we can start to fantasize and formulate plans to pursue what we believe we deserve. James 1, 14 and 15 talks about the progression of sin. It says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That's why I say jealousy starts off as a subtle thought, just a desire. But then James 1, 15 says, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. Now the plan comes into action. But what's the result of a jealous plan? Well, James 1.15 says, In sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Nothing good or godly comes from jealous motivations. Nothing. And we need to understand that. And we need to take the truth of God's word and the truth of God's will, which is God's word, and allow it to speak to those false conclusions that we're making in our heart and allow it to speak to those plans that we're wanting to formulate to get what we think we deserve. Here's the third characteristic, and it's found in verses 7 through 10. Look at what it says. Adonai just continuing. It says, He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathar, Abiathar the priest. Now here's the significance of that. I'm just going to stop there. Some of you, if you've 
grown up in church, you're good at Bible trivia, you're like, man, I, that name Joab sounds familiar, and Abiathar, that name sounds familiar, and you would be right, because Joab was the general of David's army. He was, he was David's right-hand man. When they were hiding in caves, when King Saul was trying to kill David, out of jealousy, by the way, when, when, when King Saul was doing that, Joab was with him, Abiathar was with him. This was the high priest. This was David's high priest. And so you look at this passage of Scripture and like, how in the world did they now side with Adonijah? We'll get to that. Look what it says. And they followed Adonijah and they helped him. But Zadok the priest, who was another high priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and David's mighty men, were not with Adonijah. In other words, they were not with Adonijah's agenda. Verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cat, fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel, and he invited all of his brothers, the king's son, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the mighty men or Solomon his brother. Here's a third characteristic of jealousy. Jealousy seeks an audience to agree with its agenda. Always. And jealousy's agenda always involves people being used for selfish purposes. See, I know that jealousy has begun to take root in my heart when I start to view people as people to be used rather than people to be loved. And that's exactly what Adonijah is doing here. He's like, I've made this conclusion in my heart. I deserve to be king. I'm going to formulate a plan to get what I deserve. And now I'm going to gather an audience who agrees with me. And it's all motivated out of jealousy. And he's not concerned with who Joab is and with who Abiathar is and all these other people that are coming to his party that he's throwing, his inauguration party. He's not concerned about them. All he looks at them is they are a means to fulfill my end. But that's what jealousy does. And remember I asked the question, why would Joab and Abiathar side with Adonijah over David. Well, here's what you need to understand. Joab at this point was not on David's nice list. He was on David's naughty list. Because Joab disobeyed David's orders when Absalom was trying to overthrow David from the throne. And they got into a battle and David's only request to Joab was do not kill my son Absalom in spite of him creating a rebellion in my kingdom. And what did Joab do? He killed Absalom anyway. So he was not on David's nice list. Now here's the thing about Abiathar. It's not as clear why Abiathar would side with Adonijah, but here's what we begin to see as we read through First and Second Samuel, is that Abiathar was like one of David's, he was like in the inside, man. He was right there with David. He was part of David's tribe, part of his posse, man, right there with Joab. But evidently, when King David takes the throne and is now king over all of Israel, you start to see in the narrative that Zadok seems to be the person that supersedes Abiathar. Now, Abiathar seems to be second fiddle to Zadok. 
which you know if you've ever experienced when you're all of a sudden in there with somebody and then somebody gets promoted over you, you got to deal with, man, I don't like that person anymore. Here's why I bring that out. Because Adonijah looked for opportunity to take what was there that was chafed and use it for his advantage. That's why I say, you know jealousy has rooted itself in your heart when you view people as something to be used rather than to be loved. And jealousy's agenda is all about you. And it's all about me. But here's something you also need to understand. Jealousy's agenda is never open to godly counsel. Because when I've made false conclusions in my heart and I'm formulating this plan and I've fantasized about it and and now I'm putting it into action and I'm gathering together an audience, it's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. You were wronged in that way or whatever it may be. And when, when I do that, here's the thing. I'm not open to godly counsel. I am only gonna gather and invite to the party the only those who agree with me. I don't wanna hear anything different. I don't want you to tell me that I may be wrong. I only wanna hear from those who agree with me and listen to me. Here's what you need to understand. I can find anybody who agrees with what I think no matter how off the wall that it is. There's people out there that believe that the earth is flat. And you could have a whole convention over that. But that doesn't mean that they're right. And what jealousy loves to do is I want to gather together a crowd so that the crowd proves that I'm right. That's what Adonijah did. Because notice who wasn't invited. He didn't invite everybody. Who did he not invite? Let's look at the text again. Let's allow the text to answer that question in case you don't believe me. He didn't invite Zadok. No, you're not coming to the party. You didn't get the invitation. Benaiah, he wasn't invited. He didn't get an invitation. He was the head of David's elite guard, like special forces. Sorry, Benaiah, you're like awesome and like G.I. Joe, but you ain't coming to the party. Nathan, the prophet, he for sure wasn't coming to the party. Because what you also need to understand is any king of Israel up to this point was anointed by the prophet of Israel. Happened with King Saul, happened with King David. So Nathan being there at the party was an important part of Adonijah being king, but he wasn't invited. And for sure, Shimei and Rei, we don't know a lot about them, but they're part of David's mighty men, like they weren't invited to the party either. And for sure, Solomon wasn't gonna be invited to the party because he was the biggest threat to Adonijah. What's my point in that? Is jealousy seeks an audience to agree with its agenda. And the question that I need to ask myself this morning is who am I not inviting into my life that I know would give me godly counsel that would contradict with the conclusion that I have made? Hey, I want to sit down to coffee with you and I'd love to talk about what I hear you're doing or saying or where your heart's at. No, I don't want to. Man, thanks so much. I'm too busy. Hey, I want to meet with you to talk about this. And No, I'm too busy. 
where you're not busy enough to gather and to talk with people who you know are not going to challenge you at all. Man, if that's you. And I've been there in my life. Then that is a clear sign that jealousy is on the throne of my heart. And when jealousy is on the throne of my heart, it never leads to anything good or godly. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear of the Lord is not a fear like, I'm scared of the dark, or I'm scared of heights, or I'm scared of spiders, or I'm scared of mice, or whatever fear you may have. It's not that type of fear. That fear of the Lord has the idea of a worshipful submission. That God, I understand who you are, which allows me to understand who I rightly am. And that worshipful submission declares, Lord, you are king. You are God. You are the ruler of my life. And I am your servant to do your bidding. And Proverbs 1.7 says, that type of attitude is the beginning of wisdom. That's going to lead to good and godly decisions that promote the glory of Christ in my life and through my life. That's the beginning of wisdom. But then it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And when I am operating with jealousy on the throne of my heart, I am operating as a fool. As tough as that is to swallow, because I'm despising anyone that would want to speak into whatever is taking root in my heart and speak against that. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Because I said at the beginning of this message, jealousy is such a subtle thing. And in this series, we're gonna look at different things that want to creep onto the throne of our heart. And maybe for you today, it's jealousy. And maybe you started out, when we started out this message, you were like, man, that's not something I struggle with. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has called something to mind. Now it's a question of what are you going to do with it? Ask yourself, Lord, where am I making false conclusions in my heart about this situation? We confess it. Let me allow your word, which is your will, your Holy Spirit to speak into that. God, I help me to stop believing that my will is better than your will. Where am I formulating a plan? Maybe it's just starting, you're fantasizing it by right now. That's all you can think about is, is how you could get your way and how you could get what you believe you deserve. And it's, it's consumed your thinking. Where do you need to, what is it that you need to confess? Where have you maybe been gossiping and you've been creating an audience that would agree with your agenda and, and the Holy Spirit has just convicted you of the wickedness of that? Listen to me, you could be in here today and you have been clearly wronged. But it's a matter of submitting to the Lord in that situation and not taking it in your own hands. And it's saying this, what rids 
your jealous heart more than anything else is looking to your king and saying, Lord, your way is better than my way. You're my protector. You're my provider. You're my defender. Lord, your way is better than my way.